Imagine living in a time where six men kill themselves every day. And if we thought that's gonna happen in a hundred years, it sounds pretty gross, but it's actually now. Uh, you know, originally fake news starts as a critique of news that's considered to be inaccurate. It's become a term that's used now to dismiss any news that you don't like. And around one in seven young Australians uh, has a mental health condition. They are our most unwell generation that we've had. People don't accept the climate science. So if I think about how we're going to save the world, art enables us to move in that direction. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Carland. Welcome to this final instalment on the reality of renewables in the What Happens Next podcast. In this episode, our experts offer up their tips for making the best use of Australia's abundant renewable energy. Whether that's joining forces with your community or lobbying government, we'll have ideas for everyone. Roger Dargaville has some advice. My name is Roger Dargaville. I'm a Senior Lecturer in Renewable Energy in the Civil Engineering Department at Monash University. My research focuses on designing optimal renewable energy systems, trying to work out how to minimise the variability in the output of wind and solar plant when they're aggregated over very large geographic regions. average person at home do to improve the situation for renewables in Australia, particularly if maybe they can't, uh, they're renting, so they can't put solar panels on their roof, they can't afford or they have nowhere to charge a, a, you know, electric car or they can't get a hydrogen car. What can the average person do in this regard? Most of the decisions that will be made to uh, decarbonise the energy system will, will be made at the, at the corporate level in terms of investment in new projects and shutting down of coal-fired power stations. So uh, individuals can can influence corporate corporations by taking their business away from fossil fuel. So if you're uh, buying electricity, you can talk to your retailer and you can get a green energy plan where you pay a couple cents more per kilowatt hour and you get green electricity and that encourages your retailer to invest in renewables. But probably the, the most important thing is to get the politicians to, to put the policies in place that really make the corporations make the right decisions. So that the way you vote is probably the single most important thing you can do. Uh, if you're particularly keen, you can write letters to your local member and say, I'm really concerned about climate change and I'd like to see more action in that space. Politicians want to stay in power. If the voters say we want action on climate change, then they will make it happen. What is one thing you wish what is one thing you wished the average person could understand about renewables that there seems to be a lot of misinformation about? That's a good question. I don't know what people don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> what do I not understand? Look, I don't understand much. Yeah. Um you Okay, so one one of the the criticisms we have in the renewable energy space is that you can't build a reliable energy system with wind and solar alone because obviously when the sun sets... It's it, night, it's dark, it we're all going to be in darkness too. If, if the wind isn't blowing, then th- there's no wind power. The, the reality is you, you build solar farms in sunny places um, which, which do not tend to get cloud cover, so at least during the day they're, they're almost always producing power. And but what but, about at night? So our power consumption goes up dramatically during the day and actually goes down a lot at night time. Oh, we're sleeping, and, right, I forgot. And... It, and and at night time, uh, wind farms tend to produce more power. Huh. So the, the correlation between wind and solar works quite nicely. And while in a particular location it might not be windy, it will always be windy somewhere 
in Australia. Um, so if we have large transmission networks, which we actually already do have, connecting the, the grid together, you can move renewable energy around from the places where it's windy and sunny to the places where it's not. So just because one place doesn't have wind and solar at a particular point in time doesn't mean it's not available somewhere else. You still need to be a, a bit cleverer. You can't run it just with wind and solar because there still will be times when it's calm over much of the, the, the eastern seaboard and cloudy. So you need storage and pumped hydro is the best form of storage uh, for st- bulk storing uh, energy. Uh, we've already got eight gigawatts of uh, conventional hydropower in the Snowy Scheme and in Tasmania, so harnessing that will be really critical as well. But a cleverly designed strategic placement of wind and solar um, farms energy system can provide very reliable energy um, and it's it's not any more expensive than the current fossil fuel driven system. Roger, I have to say you make it sound very easy and realistic. Why does it not seem that way? Why does it feel so hard? Well, it, it does involve rebuilding a system in a fashion that, that doesn't exist yet. So, so nowhere in the world has, has a wind and solar 100% renewable energy system. We, we have countries that have close to 100% for hydropower. But hydropower is a very um, well um, understood and mature technology. So there's, there's nothing dangerous about that. But no, no one's tried to build a 100% wind and solar system before. So there's, there's fear of the unknown. We're transitioning from a system that's been built over 100 years it's very well established and there's a lot of money invested in it. So so moving away from that infrastructure is going to be somewhat costly. But in fact, the renewable technologies and especially solar PV have come down in costs so much that building uh, infrastructure to make electricity from, from the sun and the wind is now cheaper than doing it from, from fossil fuel. Um, and that, that's true even for some uh, coal-fired power stations that have already been paid for. So just the cost of the coal going into the system is more than what it costs to produce power from a, a new solar farm. I guess there's a, we need to work on the will side of things. Roger, thank you so much. That was really interesting. My pleasure indeed. Let's hear from Liam Smith. I'm Liam Smith. I'm the Director of Behaviour Works Australia. Behaviour Works Australia is an applied behaviour change research unit working with governments and private enterprises to change behaviour for individual or social good. Liam Smith, welcome. Great, great to be here. All right, let's have a think about what individuals can do. What can we do to make a change? So what role do you think an individual um, has to play in making Australia, you know, 100% renewable power? There's, a, there's certainly a few things and, and, and I guess you can... Um, divide them up into different types of behaviour. Uh, there was a really some really interesting work done actually in Townsville, probably close to a decade ago now, where uh, 200, well, there was a question of what can individuals do in their homes to try to reduce energy consumption and reduce carbon emissions. And there were 240 identified behaviours, 240 different things. Mm. Um, and the question is, well, which one do you target? Because, you know, as behavioural um scientists or applied behavioural researchers, we typically like focusing on one thing, so not 240. 
And in fact, we know if you tell people 240 things that they get choice overload and don't do much at all. And yeah. if you give people too many choices, they sort of um, get stagnated and or get sort of stuck. Yeah. Um, if, if, if the best example of that is Netflix. I think you send teenagers <laughs> cruising and choosing nothing, right? So, um, so yeah, but then the top behaviour that was that, that they arrived at in this particular instance was, um, it, it, and it was done in the city of Townsville, was to paint your roof white. Hmm. And that was chosen on two grounds, First, well, on two criteria. The first was what impact does it make? And there were various estimates, but certainly um, a few degrees cooler in your house if you have a pale roof rather than a back to dark roof. Um, so there was clearly a benefit to it, but also the likelihood that people would do that behaviour. Mm. Because it's a relatively cheap one-off behaviour, then it was seen as a fairly high-priority uh, behavioural choice. So I guess in your household, um, and in Victoria, we might be a little bit different. So uh, I'm not sure we might need to change in colour roofs here because sometimes we need white and sometimes we need black. And certainly uh, the cool of winter is quite problematic, although with climate change, clearly we're going to get some more heat. So, um, so that's one thing. Uh, but I would also argue there are some other types of behaviours, not just household, and particularly I like um, sort of more advocacy behaviour. And I think one of the things that is gaining some real momentum at the moment is trying to lobby uh, uh, large holders of funds, whether they be business or superannuation companies and the like, to invest in uh, sustainable options, particularly carbon-free or not coal options, mm. more specifically. And I, so I think that uh, there, there is some real value in people um, switching assets to more sustainable uh, outcomes or sustainable investments, sorry. And I think from those, uh, the, there, there'd be two things that I think immediately that would that people can do now and can start to make a difference and to send signals to policymakers. I guess the question is longer term, yes, there's lots of these different things we need mm. to do. And we've talked about some of those already in terms of battery storage and use of energy use. I love the idea of painting your roof right. I think as soon as you gave that example, I remembered when I was travelling through Morocco and there's this little town called Chefchaouen where the entire town is blue. You by, by decree, everyone has to paint all of their house, all of their fence blue. So the entire town is blue. It's phenomenal to go to. And so, and I remember when I went there, my husband and I were like, could we ever have anything like this in Australia? Would people do it? What if we made, like, as an environmental statement, Melbourne or Sydney or whichever city, it's a white city for an environmental reason. You'd get heaps more tourists because, you know, the Instagrammers come to have their photos in front of all these white buildings. And it's an environmental statement. You can have that idea for free, actually, Liam, yeah, in, yeah, your next, um, in your next study. <laughs> I really – check it out. Check out Chef Shawan in Morocco and make and, it happen. And why blue? And why blue? So what's really interesting is it wasn't always blue. For a while it was a different colour, but for some reason it became a thing that the city did and now it's so important for tourism. It's the only reason people okay. would go because it's not like the other bigger cities like Marrakesh or Casablanca or Fez, but because everything's blue, it's this iconic place to visit. Um, it brings in a lot of tourists. So now you have to. Everyone has to have a blue house. So <laughs> I, think, there you go. I think we should look at it. I'm going to send you pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see. So, I mean, certainly in Townsville now, so they, it wasn't compulsory um, and you certainly could make it more compulsory. But if you fly over Townsville now, and I have been on Google Earth and taken snapshots from, you know, of, of Townsville, and particularly new developments are all white roofs or almost all white roofs, mm. and even existing developments, that um, a lot of them are, are white or pale colours. So I think they have been quite successful, actually, in convincing people to do that. 
All right, it's happening. I'm sending you a photo right now. So what do you think the governments or institutions could do to make it easier for individuals to take action? Should there be subsidies, for example, like if you paint your roof white, I don't know, 50 bucks off your tax bill that year, something like that, or free or or the the paint itself would be a tax write-off? Yeah, well, certainly there are are incentives, options, and they're typically one of the the tools that policymakers use. Um, I I, I always worry a little bit about incentives, and there's this term that's used in behavioural economics called money for nothing, which is that, you know, could you, would people have done it anyway, or indeed could we have Mm. convinced people to do it for non-financial reasons? And there is a bit of an issue with motivating people for financial reasons. which is that if you if you say for example you put solar panels on your roof um, to save money, then in many ways it might predispose you to do other things that are in line with saving money. And so, given another environmental choice, one that costs more, sorry, another situation where an environmental choice costs more and a less environmental one costs less, it may be not the environmental consideration, but rather mm-hmm. the cost that factors in your decision making. And so we, we call that crowding out or, or, or extrinsic motivations um, around the, the desired behaviour. So if we, yeah, the, the preference would clearly be um, to avoid incentives if we possibly could. Mm-hmm. They can work and they certainly do work. Um, but equally, I'd be thinking, can we be a bit more targeted in who they go to so that it's more just trying to convince the laggards, the laggards to get them across the line rather than Right. Going out to everybody. So the more powerful message is do this because it's the right thing to do environmentally. Yeah, and there's a lot of work in, in the behavioural sciences that sort of target, you know, how, how do you convince someone, um, and partic- often there are divisions between left ring and right ring or individualist or more collectivist viewpoints, mm-hmm. how do you convince them to act in favour of, say, climate change mm. or to do an environmental action that um, would support climate change mitigation? And, you know, there are ways to do that, um, and particularly speaking to social norms or speaking to community-based um, activities can be quite a powerful way of, you know, everyone else is in your local community is doing this or, mm-hmm. or do it for your local community. Those sorts of messages can often work on both sides, um, um, and, and including for people that don't even think the climate's changing. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that message targeting is kind of key. Liam Smith, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Joining us now is Behrouz Bahrani. My name is Dr. Behrouz Bahrani. I'm a lecturer at Electrical and Computer System Engineering Department at Monash University. Uh, My main field of research and expertise is uh, renewable energy integration into the grid, converters, power electronic converters and their control, and their application in the wider area of the grid. Behrouz Bahrani, welcome. Thank you so much. What can the average person at home do to improve things in terms of renewables? Well, living green and living green um, has all sorts of actually aspects into it. Do you have solar panels on your house? I unfortunately don't because I'm renting a place (laughs) now, so I can't. But this will be one of my priorities as soon as I buy a house that I can do that. But I think you probably touch on something a lot of people feel. A lot of people are renting. So they can't can't put solar panels on. Exactly, they can't. 
Is there anything else in terms of renewables people who don't own a home can do? Well, at the moment for um, individuals, uh, well, one way, as you mentioned, would be solar panels. Another way would be driving an electric car. But unfortunately, electric cars are pretty expensive at the moment. But it will uh, change. It Actually, can I, I mean, bring it back to me again? Yes. Um, I would love to get an electric car. Sure. But I live in a city where no one has garages and everyone has to park on the street. Is that viable for someone like me to get an electric car because don't you have to plug it in overnight? You have to plug it in overnight, correct. Uh, but that is only if you want to charge it uh, with your own electricity at home and that is called like slow charging. But there are fast charging solutions for electric cars that you can, for example, charge your car in 15 to 20 minutes or at least go from 10% state of charge to 80-90 state of charge of your battery, which is good enough for your day-to-day uh, travel, of course. So, where, yes. where do you do that? Uh, well, yet the infrastructure is not uh, there. So that's another thing that government could do to expand the infrastructure for electric vehicles. Because, look, for example, um, how do you do for your normal petrol car? There is a gas station. You go there. You don't have gas at your home, yeah. right? You go to a gas station. You actually have access to gas, you could have charging stations, fast charging stations, and that would require uh, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of um, actually um, investment from the government to have fast charging um, stations so you don't have to wait more than 10, 20 minutes. Now that we mentioned electric cars, let's mention another technology here, which can hopefully be um, also a some sort of... Um, you know, alternative to uh, petrol cars, and that would be hydrogen cars. Hydrogen cars are actually in terms of, because many people have this range anxiety with electric vehicles and they say, what if, uh, you know, I don't have, um, you know, access to any charging point while I'm traveling? Do you I'm think it comes from our phones and we're always so worried about our phones going flat and needing to charge them that we kind of think of rechargeable cars as like big mobile phones with terrible batteries? It's a good analogy. Yeah, and I think many people, yeah, they because they're very much actually concerned about um cell phone, this is more or less the same thing because, okay, what if I don't have access to a, you know, charging station? Every that, day. And that's actually a legitimate concern if, for example, as you mentioned, if you live in a city and if you don't have uh, access to charge or you're, you're, you don't have, for example, you're renting an apartment, you can, cannot actually charge it, it's difficult and it adds to the uh, problem. So one solution would be hydrogen cars. Hydrogen cars, you can imagine, well... The way they work, imagine that you've got exactly like a petrol car, but instead of like gas, it has uh, hydrogen as the, you know, um, instead of um, electricity or anything else, it's just hydrogen. And, and you can, you probably can charge them in a matter of minutes, uh, similar to a gas station. But again, it requires a lot of uh, investment and infrastructure and, um, you know, uh, investment from the government or um, different developers or car manufacturing companies uh, to come along and, and install these things. So we are yet not really ready for hydrogen, at least in Australia. Some other countries are doing much better when it comes to hydrogen. Japan, I think, is the leader uh, when it comes to hydrogen cars, fuel cell cars. They're great. Uh, but that could be another uh, solution. And the way I see it, I see the future 
maybe 20, 30 years from now, a mixture of electric and hydrogen cars. Because, well, hydrogen cars, you won't have that, uh, you know, range anxiety because you know that uh, you've got access to a station, you know, you go and, and, and get it charged. Another good point about hydrogen cars is that, well, let's talk about the problem of electric uh, cars and charging the stations. Because if you want to, for example, charge a few cars simultaneously in your uh, charging station, that high speed or fast charger, it requires a lot of, it, it puts a lot of burden on the electricity grid. Ah, we've already talked about that struggling. So, exactly. So, the good point about hydrogen is that it is disconnected, right? It is like um, hydrogen, liquid hydrogen probably, you actually uh, go to your station and hydrogen station. Your local hydrogen dealer. Exactly. And then you, you don't have the problem, you don't have that impact on your electricity grid. So that's another good point about hydrogen. Another actually uh, good point is that hydrogen can actually be mixed with renewable energies. How? Well, for hydrogen generation, you need um, energy. You need energy for the uh, chemical reactions to actually generate hydrogen. That energy could come from a solar farm in the middle of the desert, without any access to any transmission line or anything to transmit power to the city, you can use energy locally in the desert where it is the perfect place for a solar plant, solar farm, generate electricity there, use that electricity to generate hydrogen and then bring hydrogen to the city and and use it as a fuel for your car. So that could be a very nice uh, use of renewable energies and that can actually help us a lot to combat climate change and uh, the problem we have with uh, conventional combustion engine cars. Behrouz, reassure me that this is not a hydrogen bomb because that's all. Uh, As you're talking about (laughs) hydrogen and creating hydrogen, it's all I'm envisioning. Tell me how it's different. No, it's actually, well, I'm not an expert in that field. So I don't want to talk too much about uh, the way uh, hydrogen cars work, the fuel cell works. But no, it's totally different, totally safe, a proven technology. Already some manufacturers, well, I don't know if we can... Can we actually we talk can say about that this isn't the ABC. You can say whatever brand okay. you want. Yes, so I think Hyundai, if I'm not wrong, they already have a, a fuel cell FCV, fuel cell vehicle. Um, I think um, some of the Japanese manufacturers are actually very much into that. And as I told you, Japan is uh, the leader in this field at the moment. Um, so uh, it is a very proven technology, very safe. No one's fantastic. exploded. No, Good. no. Okay. And then, you know, the, the beauty of that is that, okay, your combustion engine cars, the outlet of your uh, exhaust system is CO2. Here the, out, uh, the output of your exhaust system is water, ah. H2O. That's the fantastic thing about uh, your FCV. Would it, does it just come out as vapor? Yeah. Okay, so, so it's you don't fantastic. like a hose. No, it's just fantastic. You know, clean, clean. Yeah. So imagine that. Imagine that solar farm in the middle of the desert generating, well, with uh, solar energy, with renewable energy, generating hydrogen for you, and that hydrogen, you use it, and it turns into, turn uh, into vapor, water. water. So fantastic, Win-win. clean. So that I, I see that as the future. So again, I see a mixture of electric vehicles and fuel cell vehicles, uh, but I see a higher chance for fuel cell, although they are not yet um, very much common in many countries. But when you look at it, if you put all of these pieces of puzzle together, uh, because it doesn't put any burden on your uh, electricity network, 
That is actually fantastic, and you can uh, very easily achieve, uh, you know, um, retiring combustion engine cars by fuel cell cars. So I see those as the future. Um, well, I cannot predict 100%, but I, I think that in probably 10 to 20 years, we'll see a massive shift uh, towards fuel cell and electric vehicles um, in many countries. And I hope we see that in Australia sooner than that. As do I. Behrouz, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much for yes, your time. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. Some really practical advice there from all our experts. Thanks to all our guests today. And that is it for this topic. More information on what we discussed can be found in the show notes. We'll catch you next time in Series 3 of What Happens Next, where we will be exploring space, the future of healthcare, higher education and research, and a lot more. Make sure you subscribe so you catch the new series when it drops. Bye.